Welcome to The Intuitive Customer, where we discuss how you can improve your customer experience and your bottom line. And now, here are your hosts, award-winning influencer and pioneering author of seven books, Colin Shaw and Professor Ryan Hamilton from Emory University. You've got to show the logic of the of the numbers and the return that you're going to get. And too many customer experience people do not talk about ROI. You can build a great business case in isolation, but unless the person who's hearing it understands how it meets their needs within the organization, they're not going to care. Get finance to actually input a lot of the data, because if you get them to do it, they can't argue with it. So, Ryan, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, mate. I'm sure you've told me your stories, Colin. Um, we've been doing this for five years. So I've heard all your stories. In fact, let me tell you your story. So, uh, no, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, when I was back in corporate life, so yes. this is uh, 20 odd years ago, it was a strange situation, and I'm sure that many of the listeners can uh, relate to this. But a strange situation, which is you apply for money, you know, in the budgeting process, you say what you want to do. You then get a load of money back, and it bears no re- resemblance to <laughs> what you've actually what you actually applied for. Okay, uh, with this company I was with, even though you were given it and you were given budget responsibility, you then had to go and present it to a financial group to see if you could spend it or not. After they'd already earmarked it for you. Oh yes, a very efficient process. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I'm I'm doing customer experience work. So this is towards the end of my career in in the corporate world, and I've gone back and I've presented presented my thoughts on you know and why I needed to have some money to to do it or the money that I they'd already given me. But I'm asking why you needed to have some of your money. Yeah, it, to be honest, it's exactly like dealing with Lorraine, my wife. <laughs> you know, I earn the money and then I have to ask her if I can spend it or not. <laughs> And then after she says, yes, you need to then present the specific case for what you're going to do. <laughs> and then she says, no. Yeah. So, so anyway, so I present this case and they said, nah, not going to do that. And I went, well, why not? Okay. Anyway, long and short of it is I came away from there and I thought, what have I done wrong? And I then went back and I thought, the thing that I've done wrong is that the company is really solely interested in mm. cost savings. Yeah. Okay. So what I need to do is I need to present this as a cost saving exercise mm-hmm. rather than a revenue gener- rather than a we need to improve the customer experience exercise. So I went back there and effectively asked the same things for the same thing, but framed it in the way of look. If we do that, that's costing us money, that's costing us money, that's costing us money. We can save money there, we can save money. And guess what? They said, yeah, we'll do that. (laughs) It was the same bloody thing. It was just put in a completely different way. Well, you and I have done a podcast recently on the importance of context and framing and perspective. Yes. 
this is a, a great example of that. I'm sure that of the skills that you thought you would need to be successful being a customer experience leader, convincing other people in your organization to let you spend money was probably not high on that list of what you anticipated. But it is super important. That is a unique skill you have to develop to be successful within your organization. Yes. Uh, And that's what we're going to talk about today. What we're going to talk about is how to create a case for change, uh, a business case, if that's the, the phrase you want to use, but how to create a case a case for change. And so this is about convincing your coworkers or more likely your managers to let you make change, which usually involves some money. Yes, yes. So, so I guess the situation is, you, you know, you're in the job of customer experience. You now want to go and present to your to whoever it is your boss your committee whatever it may be even Lorraine my wife and you've got to present this case how do you do that what are the things that you need to think about yeah and you know what are the tips and tricks um, of of doing that so sounds good great okay so so let me let we we've done this in the time-honored fashion uh, which is that Ryan and I have created our own little lists So we're going to um, just go through these one by one. The first one for me is you've got to have a clear objective. So what are you trying to achieve? What's the goal? What's the outcome that you're looking for? And you've got to put it in the way and building on my story at the beginning, uh, of something that's going to interest your audience. Um, because if you don't, and it's just of interest to you, then it's not going not gonna to fly. So, so what's the goal? What's the objective? What's the outcomes you're looking to get? And put it in their language, basically. I think that this most often is a problem of, again, of perspective. I would suspect that most of the people who are who are creating these business cases know what they want to achieve. Like they they understand what the goal is. And I think that sometimes when it's obvious to us, we don't make sufficient effort to explain it to somebody else from their perspective so that they'll get it. Like, well, obviously this is so that we can improve customer experience and therefore make the company more successful. And we, we kind of like leave that part out of the proposal because it's too obvious to explain. And so Therefore, we're just going to get to the meat of what we want. Yeah, and and building on that, I think it goes back to you know we we did a podcast a few weeks ago, didn't we, where we talked about context and you know what lens are you looking through? And let me be very clear: in my career, I've made this mistake, but I think the danger is that you go and present to people thinking they understand what you're talking about they are coming from the same context or looking through the same lens that you're looking through. And it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, it's obvious that we need to improve the customer experience and it's obvious that there's going to be a revenue benefit. You know, you may not be to necessarily articulate exactly what it is, but uh, it's obvious. And, you know, any idiot would be approving this. I've been there and thought that. And hey, you're an idiot, so why don't you prove it? <laughs> right? that's, that's the second part of that. Meeting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it's 
and, and maybe I can add, add one. Maybe I'll, I'll do my usual bit of come up with a list and then add it to <laughs> add things to the list as we as we go along. Ideally, what you've actually done is you've actually spoken to the people who you are trying to to the stakeholders, and you're trying. You've already worked out where they're coming from, and have put the business case in that context. So go back to my initial story, I could have actually saved a lot of time if I'd have gone around and seen each of them and thought to myself, actually, all they're interested in is cost savings. And therefore, I'm just going to put this in a cost saving way. So anyway. So yeah, so a clear objective and make sure the objective aligns with the objectives of whoever you're you're running this past. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, All right. So um, from my list, don't neglect the overwhelming persuasive power of numbers. So when we're presenting a case like this for change, you know, we can we can bring some logic, we can tell some stories, we can talk about our goals, but nothing will be more persuasive, especially usually to the numbers people that we need to run it past, than a spreadsheet explaining where these these costs come from, what they're going to be used for, where it's going to go. So always make sure when you're you're building your business case, include your data, include your research, earmark where all that's coming from. Um, like build the case based on data, not just based on logic and goals. Yes, that's a really, really, really important one. Did you hear how efficiently I went through my one as opposed to your one, which turned into two? <laughs> Uh, well, the issue now, mate, is you've got the data to prove it. So I can't argue with it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but no, that that's an important one. And I think the other thing I would build on to that is it, it's clearly when you then start breaking data down. Okay, so customer research is critical here. Okay, but most organisations, particularly in the environment that we're in now are looking to cut costs. So one of the things that I find quite surprising is how people don't think laterally about the costs. So let's talk automation for a moment. But, you know, if you're making a business case about automation. Like, for example, if if one wanted to replace one's podcast co-host with an AI engine, hypothetically. Hypothetically. hypothetically, yeah. yeah. Well, go, go ahead, finish your thought for now. <laughs> You've put me off now. How can you do that to me? How could I be replaced by some type of computer? Um, Probably fairly easy. Yeah. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> so the, the key part here is, you know, if you're starting to look at the data, it's not just looking at the costs, but if you're going into automation, okay, I finally got back onto the thread of what I was talking about, which is automation, is you may be including a reduction of FTE, full-time equivalents. But have you thought about adding in there the recruitment costs of those FTE? Have you thought about uh, adding in there the training costs of those FTE? So really think about it. And again, the other key that I, I think really helped me was on the data, is get finance to sign it off, okay? Get finance to actually input a lot of the data because if you get them to do it, they can't argue with it. Oh, that's great. 
Yeah. No, that's really good. Yeah. So, okay. My turn, isn't it? Your turn. Yeah. Okay. So th- this is this is one that um, you'll know is a hot topic for me, which uh, and this is one of the reasons why, for those of you that listened to the American Customer Satisfaction Institute session we had a couple of weeks ago, you'll know that customer experience is at a seventeen-year low. And the other interesting stat uh, that I've repeated lots of times, but I'm going to repeat it again, is between 2010 and 2019, only one third of organizations improved their customer experience. And this is the reason why. And it, it is basically, in my view, that people do not think enough about the return on the investment that they're going to make. And you know, without that quantification of if we do this, we are going to get that. And then the measurement and the proof of, yes, we've managed to get that. I think, you know, that's a big reason, particularly, again, if you're going up against some very numbers-driven financial people, you've got to show the logic of the of the numbers and the return that you're going to get. And too many Custom experience people do not talk about ROI. Yes, absolutely. I think it's it's a super important one. Again, especially if you're going to have to get this approved by numbers guys, numbers people, uh, the return on investment is absolutely crucial. All right, so my next one is actually one that you brought up with your initial story, and it's I think it's one of the more important ones on this list, which is that we need to take the perspective of the people we're trying to convince. Um, so it's not enough to come up with a great idea. You need to explain that idea in a way that aligns with what the organization wants, with what the key stakeholders want, with the people who are approving this want. You can build a great business case in isolation, but unless the person who's hearing it understands how it meets their needs within the organization, they're not going to care, right? So, so tell this from, this is a marketing exercise. Tell this from the perspective of the people that you need to convince, not just from your perspective. And that is um, a key one um, for me. You need to find out what's, it's virtually, uh, again, the way I considered it was, how are people going to get bonused? What are their objectives? Yeah, that's a great way of framing this. Yeah. You know, w- what keeps them up at night? And how can I show that if they give me their support, that this program will help them deliver that. Or if it doesn't, I need to understand that because that ties into my next one, which is about understanding the politics and the biases that go before this. So I've worked both in corporate life and since with Beyond Philosophy in some very political organizations. And it's that classic phrase, isn't it, of keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. So you need to understand the politics that are underlying this this decision. I, I always remember presenting once to a to a board of a of a retail organization who shall remain nameless. And I'll be surprised if they're they're, they're a famous organization, but I'll be surprised if they're around in a few years' time. And the politics that was happening within the room when I was presenting was just awful. And they rejected the proposal that the marketing 
SVP was putting up and we were effectively delivering. And the only reason they did it was because of politics. It wasn't for any other reason other than politics. And uh, unfortunately, as you get further up in the ranks, then the politics get worse. And particularly if you're then running a big program and you're requiring change and that is going to impact those those individuals, then you can expect that. So building on your point, you've really got to make sure that you understand the politics and the motivations that people have. And whilst certainly, you know, bonus and things like that can have an effect, it's not going to be the answer to, to everything. Ryan, we've reached a new milestone, mate. What is that? I now have 70,000 people signed up for my LinkedIn newsletter called Why Customers Buy. 70,000, that's very impressive, Colin. That just so happens to be slightly more than the capacity of the first energy stadium where the Cleveland Browns play in Cleveland, Ohio. I've got to tell you, mate, that doesn't surprise me. My milestone doesn't seem as good now you mention Cleveland Browns. <laughs> uh, hey, beating the Cleveland Browns is still an accomplishment. It still is. <laughs> It would be for my five-year-old, but not for most football teams. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to sign up for my newsletter, go onto LinkedIn and search for Why Customers Buy, or just go to my profile, Colin Shaw, and sign up for a free LinkedIn newsletter. I mean, this is kind of the the ugly side of it, but it's also very practical. Uh, again, you can build the most beautiful business case possible, but if you want that business case to succeed, you need to look outside the case itself. Like, who are the people that you need on board with this? You and I have talked about this and we've talked about culture change within organizations, how any change is going to promote resistance. Like people, even in healthy organizations, people are resistant to change. They tend to like the status quo. In unhealthy organizations, it just gets worse, but it's true everywhere. And so you need to figure out, in addition to building up my case, who are the people that I need on board? What do they want from their perspective? Who are the people who are going to resist this? What can I do to persuade them or to get support from even higher up in the organization to kind of force their hand? But you can't go into that blind. You know, uh, when you were presenting to that board, it didn't matter what you were doing. Sure. Uh, the fact that there were these political currents that were pushing against you and that you were seen as being kind of aligned with somebody that was unpopular with other people meant the business case that you were bringing was kind of irrelevant. So before you invest your time and effort and energy, understand that the political currents and then also do what you can to manage them in addition to building your business. And, and that sort of ties in, doesn't it, to, I mean, and rightly so, people call it stakeholder management. So you, you've either got to work out, you've got to work out who's on your side, you know, how you can position things to get them on their side, or if they're not on your side, how do you mitigate that in some way? And to a certain extent, you know, sometimes you just can't, basically, um, because somebody's got too much political power and, and it's actually not even worth putting putting the business case in, which can be actually, I'm going to do my usual one, I'll throw in, in another Oh, Colin. Uh, another one, which, which is just, you've got to be realistic about the timescale that you're doing it in. So the, 
are we doing this and approaching this at the right time for the organization so anyway it's your next i believe from your list uh yes so um sometimes business cases are not compelling or persuasive because they they sound like they were written by pollyanna they it's just all upside it's all rainbows and flowers and everything is going to be great and we'll all hold hands and sing songs around a campfire at the end of it and jump together i'm sorry and jump together and jump together um preferably with jump ropes we'll play some games (laughs) it'll be great um in order for a business case to be compelling, it has to be realistic. And some of that realism comes from a risk assessment of actually confronting the, this is why we think this is a good idea. These are the potential benefits, but also here's where things can go wrong. And so here's the risks that are involved, right? They might be industry-wide risks. They might be a kind of global risks, like if we happen to hit a recession while we're doing this, or, you know, if our competition does this, or, you know, various things that could go wrong, and then your plans for mitigating those things, um, right? That That is going to make for a much richer uh, business case. There's There's evidence out there, there's research that shows that in some forms of advertising, when brands kind of admit to some of their weaknesses in the course of persuasion, it makes for a much more persuasive ad rather than just telling you about the positives alone. You, you seem more, much more honest. People are more accepting of the information. So um, as you're building out your business case, make sure to include risk assessments. Tell us what could go wrong. Tell us what you're going to do about it. Yes, no, that's a, a good one and, and is often missed. And I think I'm going to build on top of that as well with my next one, which is it, it's got to be credible. So the the issue for me again, if I think back to the, the the cases that I've been involved with, and and I've been at the other end of approving these things as well. But if when you're presenting all this stuff, you're looking at it and you're just thinking, this is, it, you know, the data that they're using, either the data they're using for this is just wrong, or the assumptions that they've made here just feel wrong. The, the danger is, is that you can walk out of there with your, your reputation in tatters, basically. And you've really got to make sure that everything that you do is credible. And another good way that I've found in, uh, to position this in the, when doing this is just looking at best case and worst case and, and presenting both. Just going, look, here's you know, an upside. Here's a, here's a low side. You know, clearly, they're different. Uh, and here's the output on those. But you've got to be credible. Another thing that sort of goes into that is if the, they you get asked a question that you either you don't know, you got to tell them, or if they're asking you a question that you know is going to cause a problem with their agreement to it, you've still got to tell them. Because trying to hide something is not going to be the the best way of doing it. All right, I'm I'm going to pull a call in here and get on my soapbox for a little bit and um, and throw in something because I think your point about credibility is a good one. My personal bias, I have very little tolerance for forecasts. When I, I was working before I came back, I've seen uh, before I came back to school and um, and started working in the academy, I've seen some of these forecast models, and I've I've literally been in a meeting where somebody showed their forecast 
And then somebody pointed out, this was kind of a, a prep meeting before we went in to present the business case. And somebody pointed out, oh, according to that forecast, we're going to lose money, um, right? <laughs> this is not going to be profitable. And I literally saw the person go, oh, and then went into their Excel file and then changed something that <laughs> so now it would be profitable. Oh, good. There you go. I was like, what? <laughs> what are we doing here? So when, when I teach, I tell my students, like, don't give me a forecast when we're solving, you know, a business case, because I'm not going to believe you. Like I, sure. these things are just based on so many assumptions. They're only as good as your previous data. Yes. And as good as the future, not changing. Um, it, you know, you, all the best data in the world isn't going to help you if now all of a sudden there's a big disruption. And in marketing, mostly we're focused on disrupting. Mostly we want things to be different in the future than they are now. So that forecasts are of limited value, but if we're going to use them, do what you just said, which is provide like something similar to a confidence interval. So like, here's our best projection, but under this set of circumstances, this is the worst case scenario under this set of circumstances, the best case scenario that provides a little bit better. My preferred solution though, is not to look at forecasts, but instead to look at break evens. So if we, instead of saying, instead saying, this is what our sales are going to look like in three years. If instead we said, look, this is where we're at now. If we make these changes, we're going to need to sell an additional 200 units to get back to the same profit that we are now. That contextualizes the same idea in a way that's much easier for me to digest. It's much easier for me to say, okay, well, is that realistic that we're going to sell an additional 200 units based on making these changes? So that's my, that's my bias. That's my preference. I don't like forecasts. I love break-evens. Um, and I love confidence intervals. I love kind of breaking that out by best and worst case. So the only thing I would I would add to that is, and when you go to credibility, okay, yeah. or a way around that, a way around the forecasting is who has done the forecasting. So if you go back to my previous point, and again, this is something I used to do in corporate life is because I used to have a finance person on my team who was one of the finance team, but they were effectively seconded to me. If they produced the forecast, because they were seen as credible by their bosses, it was okay. Yes. If I produced the forecast, <laughs> yeah, it yes. wasn't okay. Okay. That's brilliant. Yeah. So, um, you know, making sure that, that that's, that's key. Um, so the last one is don't neglect the presentation itself. Yeah. Um, so you can come up with a fantastic idea, uh, but if it is communicated in kind of a haphazard manner, if it doesn't look professional, it looks slapped together, all of these things send a signal that you are not to be trusted, right? This goes back to credibility to a certain extent that you haven't like thought enough about this. One of my um, jobs that I had before coming back, uh, I was kind of a junior man on a, on a small team of people who were presenting a business case um, for expansion. And um, as such, I was in charge of the PowerPoint presentations. I spent so much time making them look pretty. It was noted by senior management. They said, these look great. And I like to think that that was part of why it went more smoothly through Whereas some of these hadn't before, like I did a thing where they, they had these various projections under different scenarios and I aligned all the pie graphs from slide to slide so that it looked like an animation where you could see where there were going to be different financial outcomes. It was noted by the CEO, uh, these, these little things, I mean, this is kind of a, a, a branding issue 
But these little things matter. They, they make you look more professional. They make you look like you know what you're doing. And they inspire confidence and make people more likely to believe you and give you money. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. In this world, being able to present and being able to present confidently is a, is a key skill. Uh, and if, you know, if you're standing up there, the, and this is wrong, but it's reality. Yes. If you're standing up there and you're presenting this wonderful case, if you don't do it in the right way, your credibility will be affected. So the thing I would make sure you do is that you practice and you, that you rehearse and that you make sure that you know what you're talking about. And that, again, is key. It sounds a bit strange that you know what you're talking about. How many people have I heard? In fact, last week I had one of our clients was presenting or one of his team was presenting to me at about four or five different members of the team presenting to me on what they were doing to change. I have to say one of the people that presented was awful, but somebody else who was presenting all the slides were really nice and it just looked so much more credible than anybody else. And therefore you, you adopt, you end up adopting that basically. I want to, I want to raise two points real quick based on what you said. The first is it's not, it's not enough to know what you're talking about. Like you, you do, you need to know what you're talking about, but you also need to seem like, you know, what you're talking about. Like you need to, to give that impression because I'm sure you and I have both seen where we, you know, there are people who, you know, understand what they're talking about, but they just can't put it together in, in such a way that people believe them. The second point I wanted to raise is as you were talking about the importance of credibility and of you know, sounding like, you know, what you're talking about, you gestured with your hand and in your hand, you were holding a fidget spinner. Um, which is a, a toy for small children. So those of you who are not watching on YouTube, <laughs> you are missing some this, real... Like, so, so tell us again is, about the importance uh, of credibility, Colin. Um, <laughs> just about to say that. This is the thing not to do when you're presenting. <laughs> I, have, I have my yo-yo and my dolly off camera so that nobody can see my toys. That I'm this is the, you know what, mate? This is the bloody problem now with doing video. I hate I know. it. I, I we covered so many sins by not letting people see us at all. It made us look so much more intelligent, didn't it? <laughs> or at least didn't didn't prove to people how bad we were. At this. Um, no, but I, I'll go back and, and say like this is it, it's important to to come across as credible. Yes. And now on my checklist of how to do podcasts and do videos, I'm going to write put all the fidget gadgets out the way. Otherwise, you're not going to see be seen as credible. <laughs> you're gonna have a post-it on your screen hide incriminating children's toys <laughs> so i hope that's been of use i mean it really the further you go up in uh, the chain of the hierarchy the more important this stuff becomes and therefore i hope it's been of use for you if you get any questions then obviously feel free to to reach out if you want us to even review a business case you've got i um, would be happy to do that so let us know okay and we look forward to chatting to you next week cheers thanks very much for listening to the show today we really hope you've enjoyed it and if you have it'll be really great if you could leave us a review this has been the intuitive customer with colin shaw and professor ryan hamilton but it doesn't end here 
Just go to beyondphilosophy.com slash podcast to find all of our shows, access free tools and resources, and subscribe, won't you? That way you'll never miss a show. That's beyondphilosophy.com slash podcasts. We look forward to talking with you next time on The Intuitive Customer.